0: everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bitch Breathe. My name is Ricardia. So this has been a really exciting journey so far. Um, I've been getting so many messages from you and I've been starting to think, okay, how can we sort of be in touch with each other, have our own little Bitch Breathe community, if you will. So I have started a Facebook group. It's a private group so that we can share thoughts and feelings that aren't necessarily the concern of the public, if you will. So I'll put the Facebook group name or the link to it in the show notes. And the group itself is, of course, called Bit Breathe. All So today I want to talk about a subject that by its title might seem like I'm going a very specific direction, which would be as the title says, spiritual sexism, and how um, there's discrimination sort of against certain groups. In my case, I'm going to focus on women in the spiritual scene. Now, while that is what I'm going to be talking about, I wanted to um, engage with you on, on a level that might not necessarily be as obvious. So bear with me here. I've found in my practice, as some of you know, I'm a yoga teacher and a meditation instructor, so I found in some of my practice that um the language didn't often feel like it was written for women. And that's my first sort of tool that I want to focus on, is the language in which we are instructed as yogis, as beginning meditation practitioners, whatever it is. I often thought that it seemed to be for men. Why do I say that? What are some of the sort of keywords that I um, saw there? And what it was, was uh, this instruction to sit very still, to be very um, strict. Some of the older Bu- Buddhist uh, instructions can be really, I want to say they, they, they border on, on harsh, where you're instructed to sit very still, like I said, and um, empty your head and really sort of not do anything or be very sort of static. Now, even though in today's world, especially now that yoga and meditation practices have been imported into the West in these last several decades, of course, some of that language has softened. But I want to get behind the intention of this language. And to me, it speaks to men because... um, it's not necessarily great for women to sit still. We're not wired in the same way that men are. So this isn't an obvious sexism where someone's saying, no, do this, and only men can do this. That's not what I mean. It's more like I don't feel represented by the kind of instruction I am given. Um, because for me, often, even though meditation has been an incredible and... um uh, important practice for me, one that i don 't want to miss a lot of times, I feel like the sitting still, emptying your head and um, focusing on one thing. my brain is not necessarily wired this way. My brain is wired to focus on several different things, combine them in ways that might not necessarily look like an obvious uh, choice at the beginning, but that actually synchronizes very different aspects that then make me able to meditate and get into a certain state. Uh, You've heard me mention this a lot before I talk about dancing specifically as something that I use not just for a fun thing, but as a real tool to focus and to center and to reconnect back to earth. So this whole instruction of sitting still for an enormous amount of time and being very strict about that feels to me like something that um, men... uh, I don't know, are more able to do or their brains are more wired to do so. But it never feels like something that I actually um, find helpful all the time. Like sometimes on on some days, it's great to just sit still and really sort of focus on this one thing. On other days, for me, I have to integrate other aspects. Like I said, the dancing is one thing and then I can sit still. Um, The other is the mantra uh, meditation where I can sing um, and really sort of bring in sound and vibration as part of the practice. Um, guided meditations are great for me, the music is great, or just having the OM sound in the background. But for me, it's sort of cherry picking from different tools, and then having them converge and be my meditation practice, as opposed to just sitting still and focusing on one thing. Now, um. It could be that this is heavily subjective, right? Like maybe this works for many, many people, especially if you've practiced for a really long time, female uh, people or female identified, that is. But I wanted to point it out because I think it's so important to have this idea that men and women meditate differently, that we operate from a different wiring. And not to focus too much on just how different we are because there's so much talk about that out there, Um, but to acknowledge that A lot, a lot, a lot of the meditation practices out there, especially the older ones, and I love all of them. This is not to criticize them, but um, in Buddhism, there have actually been a lot of essays by women, Buddhist um, practitioners about the language there and how it only focuses on men. Um, Obviously, in organized religion, you've got an incredible amount of male focus and how men um, pursued their um, um, spirituality and there's not so much about how uh, women should do that but I'll get into that specific thing a little bit later so just to sort of round this up to look for the language the kind of language you find in meditation instructions and see does that really fit your organic makeup The kind of organism, the kind of wiring in your brain and indeed in your heart, in the rest of your body um, that that you are working with here. So that was tool number one, focusing on language. Tool number two, there's this idea sometimes in spirituality and the spiritual scene that um, it shouldn't be so important if we're men or if we're women because we're all human. Now, if you've been in any way woke over the last couple of years, especially with this new feminist movement and the sort of very, very nuanced conversations that are now happening around male, female, um, but especially female empowerment, uh, Black Lives Matter, all these things, you'll notice that um, this is a very important ingredient is to acknowledge that when someone says we're all human, That does not necessarily include women. That's as much or more even in the political scene and societal circles as it is in spirituality. Um, Often you'll find that if you question some of the instructions or the language around the instructions, um, a teacher will say, but we're all human. It doesn't matter. And this was just a tradition where there were a lot of male quests or male gods or whatever it is. But see, that's not necessarily true. These are just the ones that got recorded. These are the ones that made the headlines and that survived the oral tradition to the written tradition, if you will. But there were female um, meditation practitioners alongside the male ones or before some of the male ones even. So to say that it doesn't matter, the language, because we're all human – That doesn't cut it, not in politics and not in spirituality, because if you're saying we're all human, you just made me invisible because you're not acknowledging that I, as a woman or a female identified, need a certain kind of address, a certain way of instruction and um, maybe even compassion, you know, looking at me from a different angle and representing me in the instructions and the language and the environment that you create. So that was tool number two is to really look at the idea that yes, we are all human, but make sure that the other 50% of the human population feels represented in our practice. And this goes especially for us as teachers is to really question where these meditation practices, these methods come from. And maybe, you know, softening, adjusting them to who it is that is sitting in front of us in our meditation. Next tool, number three, I believe. Um, In many spiritual traditions and, um, yeah, indeed organized religion too, there's this big word of sharing and considering others. And let's not forget the golden rule of love thy neighbor. And this is very, very dominant in many traditions. And to really consider your neighbor, to not be so egotistical and to look out for each other. What I find slightly problematic about this sometimes is that, again, I feel like, mm, do, do I really need this instruction as a woman? And I came to the conclusion that, of course, we can always do more sharing and can always practice more compassion. But I find this instruction to not be so useful for women, especially because it's mostly women still, unfortunately, sitting in these um, uh, classes, workshops, meditation uh, sessions, whatever it is. But we already share so much a lot of time. We share... um the burdens with each other. We share everything we have, especially if we're mothers. I don't care if we're mothers of other people's children or uh, mothers of our own children, or we're, you know, birthing projects where a lot of people need to be considered. It doesn't matter. But sharing and looking out for other people, I don't know if I'm hardwired for it. That's always the nature nurture thing, right? Or if I've been raised this way. But that's something that comes very natural to me. And when I look at my uh, relatives or my friends um, of the female persuasion, if you will, they all naturally uh, share. And I find that a little bit problematic because especially in the spiritual scene, Uh, then women tend to sort of share even more or they feel they're not doing enough. And then here comes, you know it will, the idea of not being good enough. So by sharing even more, this is going to make me a better person. You can see why I might find this highly problematic, right? Because Um, here there are, there's 70, there 80% women sitting in these classes being told to be more compassionate, that um, we need to really work work harder on ourselves so that we can share more of ourselves. And I'm thinking there's probably women sitting here working two jobs, raising kids by themselves, taking care of aging parents, and maybe there's some volunteer in some NGO or other charitable organization, and they're supposed to share more? It just my heart went out to them because I um, have worked in the spiritual scene for many, many years now. And of course, please let me know if you disagree. but in my um in my experience, I've seen this happen over and over. These women who are working on their inner transformation, who feel they need to do more, to be more, to be accepted and loved more. And that is the part. I'm concerned about. It's not that I feel like there's inherent sexism in the word sharing or that we shouldn't look at this aspect, but I feel the people who may, and here's my prejudice if you want, the people who may need to see or listen to this more are generally more male. And I'm not blaming men as people who are egotistical and who don't share, but I don't think that men are being raised. To be of a sharing and considerate nature. And I don't think they're being raised to constantly transform themselves. Part of this is. Obviously, not their responsibility. That's ours as mothers who are raising male children, right? Is to raise them as sharing entities of society who actually give a shit about how other people are doing. And of course, there are women who don't share. So please don't think I'm making some sort of hate argument here. Not my intention at all. Very much on the contrary, is to just bring us all to the same page where the idea of sharing and working on yourself and improving is not only done by the women in society, that the inner work of spirituality is not just a female one. Now, I know that we can be channels for this. And I know that there are a lot of books and thoughts out there about men needing women to channel their spirituality. I don't want to put that into question. I think it's a very interesting idea. Um, I'm not even sure if I don't believe some of it. But I still think that when we're in these spiritual contexts where there's many, many women. To maybe not so much focus on their sharing, their doing and transforming and, and performing, but for us to raise male children who will do that, to teach our male partners and relatives that this isn't just our job. So it is our responsibility to, as women, as women who practice in spirituality or dabble in it, even if you will, is to look at What is being said, the whole sharing, you know, the whole mother idea and spirituality, I mean, come on, Christianity, Mother um, Mary, uh, Mother Teresa, the the grandmother idea, right? It's always female and yes, Mother Earth. And I don't disagree with any of this, but let's incorporate and let's bring on board the males to share, too, in a very, very broad sense of the word sharing, and transformational work. So I focused on that one rather long as you might have noticed because it's really really important to me and um, I I just love to hear your opinion about that particular tool right there. So piggybacking on that one of course comes my next tool and that one is to seek out female instructors and role models. This one's probably so obvious that um, it might not have needed to have been listed but I really believe, I'm a strong believer in the idea of representation and that I think it was Alice Walker who said that you can't be what you can't see. And the reason I say that is not for some, well, it's probably political because my spirituality has always been political and my political thinking has always been informed by my spiritual practice. So I can't necessarily disentangle the two. But what I mean by this is that I didn't even notice... When I was being instructed only by male teachers, reading only male literature. And you know all these debates and arguments that are taking place right now in, in uh, the framework of the new feminism. So I don't need to go there for the moment. But I do want to stress the importance of having female instructors, and luckily most yoga teachers, or many of them, are um, female. But that's not necessarily what I mean. There, actually, I would love more male teachers to uh, get things balanced out. But I mean to have female spiritual practitioners who are in full possession of their power. So what do I mean by that? The female teachers, a lot of times, And I have to include myself here, unfortunately. We tend to replicate the kind of students that come to us. Or we're very similar to the students that come to us. Maybe I should put it that way. The whole idea of like attracts like. So what often happened was that I ran into teachers, ran into myself, who were very compassionate, who knew their stuff, who could really, really guide you through a yoga practice safely and lovingly, no doubt. I've met many teachers like that, and I've loved and do still love many teachers. But what I didn't meet so often, and what I think we all need support with and what we need to exchange with each other about is to be in a full female force. So not to be afraid to say how angry you are sometimes, I talked a lot about this in my last episode, not to say that you've failed sometimes, but you got back up again. So not focusing on sort of the victim story or the sadness that you feel, let's say for the pandemic and everything that that entails right now, but to really acknowledge the full idea that we have power and that we are able to relay joy and to focus on practicing joy. We're so good on practicing what hurts right now. How do I feel? Where have I been traumatized? But we have not properly been taught joy. Have you been taught joy, like actually had a lesson in joy? I know for me it's been frightfully few, and I've had to actively seek it out. And I want to see joyful women. I want to become that joyful teacher who's in full possession of all her power, and who owns her mistakes, and who owns her shortcomings, and teaches other women to do the same. Because this is something I really love about men. There's a lot of things I love about men. (laughs) But this is something I really love about them. They don't dwell on mistakes. And though I know there is a whole other side to that where they maybe dwell too little on it, but I don't want to get into that right now. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the fact that they bounce back. They, they'll be like, yeah, that didn't go so well or, yeah, I guess I should have been focused more on that, this and the other. But they don't sit there and self-flagellate and victimize themselves over this huge mistake or shortcoming that they have. And even though, yes, that ha- can have other consequences, I like that idea. To see a woman there in front of us, a female instructor or role model who says, yep, that didn't go so well, but you know what? I'm going to fix it next time. And that is what I want to see more in all of us. This is a, very much a desire for my own teaching and my own self-practice, is to come into power and to seek out other women who can lead and who can teach us how to be powerful. All right. The next tool goes hand in hand with this one, and that is to seek out the goddesses the female Buddhas, and all the female tradition and spirituality. By the time organized religion came around, um, this was very much a a male effort, spearheaded by male um, religious practitioners. And so female spirituality, uh, the whole Wiccan, uh, pagan traditions, they all got um, quite confused and confused sort of mingled with the organized religion and in the worst case they got lost so it's quite a quest to find spiritual leadership coming from a female side so seek out female buddhas there were two by the way two um, enlightened, uh, Buddha figures who are actually female. One is Tara, I believe. I'm not as anchored in the Buddhist tradition as I am in the, in the Hindu one sometimes, but I did dig deep and so I came upon these two ladies and to really look out for the language, the imagery of the books you read and if you're into tarot cards, for example, these can very often be all male figures on the pictures, but there's beautiful female ones. I think one is by, what's her name? She wrote the book Witch. I'll have to pop her in the show notes. But she made a wonderful tarot set that's actually round cards, which I really loved. Tarot cards don't have to be angular and what I consider very masculine looking. Um, I've also got a beautiful masculine one. Don't get me wrong. It's with, um, inspired by images by Albrecht Dürer, an artist. So it's not like we can't have those. But I also like to just have like females everywhere, Fe- round cards as opposed to angular female um, protagonists and and this I find particularly um interesting female spiritual warriors females who are on a quest for spirituality keyword uh, Jeanne d'Arc for example right so really looking for those historical figures that are female who were victorious who really made changes in the spiritual world certainly also in the um in the consensual reality of um of the non-spiritual, um, universe, if you will, but really looking for these female warriors and female Buddhas and goddesses, because there's a lot out there. And for me, my, my mom's Irish. I've mentioned this in many other podcasts before. So I went to look for the Celtic women, of course. And believe me, this is so much fun. I, um, as a child also loved Greek mythology and I loved the female goddesses. I mean, how can you not love, um, Aphrodite, for example, of course, or, or Medusa? Um, I loved Medusa. I thought, wow, that girl, you gotta, she's someone to be reckoned with, you know? Um, in a Hindu tradition, I love Durga. Durga is the strength girl. She's sitting on that tiger. and... Um, Even more, I love Kali, who destroys and then rebuilds. I mean, there's so much fun to be had with this. Seek him out, the female warriors and goddesses. And then lastly, and I could use a whole episode or two on this one, the whole idea of sexuality and spirituality. So, again, with the organized religion or with male spiritual explorers, the idea of sexuality has been a big no-no in so many, maybe all, I obviously haven't um, exhausted my knowledge of spiritual traditions, but most spiritual traditions either ignore the idea of sexuality, I certainly haven't met with that topic in many um, yoga classes or workshops, or um, sort of female circles. Um, actually, I've met it in female circles, but sort of circles where females and males were invited. And I've also noticed that if it weren't, wasn't ignored, it was um, punished in some way, I want to say. To me, sexuality can be a vessel or a conduit for spirituality, or you can totally abuse it. As we all know, the stories of abuse and what can go horribly wrong there. I'm not going to focus on that so much. If we practice for a while, we're aware of what can happen there, the transgressions that have happened, um, the way that men have used their power to mansplain, to abuse, and to steer the conversation around um, uh, spirituality. So we know about that. Um, I've also fallen into the trap of you know, sort of only being instructed by by men uh, in, around certain subjects when it came to meditation or whatever. And th- that was no ill meaning on their side, but it was v- a very male-dominated um, situation that way. The man's explaining to me how spirituality works, and that's totally fine because I sought him out, but um, it didn't necessarily represent. So that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about as our sexuality being a very spiritual undertaking, if you will. And to really acknowledge that when we have sex with someone else, male, female, anything in between, um, and mostly with ourselves, that kind of sexuality, that this can be a very spiritual practice. And to just understand the kind of energy we're giving out here. So let me back up a little bit. As a younger woman... I didn't realize what it was I was putting out there, if you will, when I was having sex with my partners. I think many of us can um, attribute to this fact. I didn't think it was important for me to have an orgasm. I just thought this is something I'm going to have to sort of um, accept along the ride because I'm now in a relationship and I'm a teenager and I want to explore and all that. And then eventually, hopefully, you transcend that, you learn to... um, insist on orgasms, if that is what you want to do, you insist on also experiencing joy. So all those things, that's one aspect of sexuality. And again, um, that is very, very individual on how you uh, grew up. But what I want to get into more is the whole idea of energy. And I didn't realize back then how much energy I was putting out for this other person, and how much healing energy is in that. And that's the aspect that I'm interested in. That's what I want to get to. This whole idea that sexuality doesn't have to be something separate from spirituality. In fact, if you go way back before it was controlled and separated and made into this duality of things, they did belong together. In fact, the first sort of sadhus, uh, yogi explorers, what was the first position they had? The only asana was the lotus position, the easy pose, as it's called. And why? Because you could move your heel more towards the perineum and have a very comfortable, nice feeling. I thought that was so cute when I first found that out, because I was like, see, they saw the connection, but then they sort of did away with it because it was all bad and you were supposed to focus on just being spiritual and none of the physical side and almost denying the body. But today we know, or we at least have the opportunity to learn, that sexuality and spirituality, they belong together as one tool. There's meditation, there's all the others, and this is just one tool to really heal each other, to connect. And again, I could get into this in a whole other episode. I I can't do it right now for time reasons. But I want to invite us all to explore the idea that having sex isn't just having sex. If you want it that way, whatever. Um, That's totally fine. That's Obviously, another way to go about it, but if we want to look for a deeper connection, a deeper healing between two or more, whatever uh, strikes your fancy, um, people, then there has to be the acknowledgement that you're putting out energy, that you're giving somebody to some something to somebody else, and as females or female-identified, even much more so you're putting out a lot of energy, make sure the other person recognizes that, holds it for you, and acknowledges that I don't want to say this is a gift because they're also gifting themselves to you. So it's not just woman victim giving everything, not what I mean, but there is healing power in this. And I want to invite us all to explore that. There's a lot of literature out there here in Berlin, where I live, there's a lot of workshops out there on that. And to really get into this idea that sexuality and spirituality don't have to be two separate entities. In fact, I insist that they're very, very close to each other in their nature, in their very, very source of things. All right. I hope this was a helpful episode for you. Uh, I was a little bit longer than I had intended, but anyway, I look forward to your feedback as always. Thank you so much for all the messages you're sending. Please look into the show notes for the Facebook group. I would love to hear from you there. And until very soon... Stay well and stay good to yourselves.